Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, after a bit of a hiatus, we are picking up with the 22nd parak of Melachim Bet. When we last left our heroes, well, we didn't really have any heroes to speak of. The wicked King Menashe, you'll recall, ruled for a staggering 55 years, leading the nation, or what was left of it in the southern kingdom, barreling towards destruction and on a downward spiritual spiral. We wondered how it could be that such a wicked king could enjoy such a lengthy and stable rule. The general internal logic of the Sefer would lead us to assume that a wicked king would soon be punished, would soon be deposed, would soon be killed, but not so. Devar Hayamim fills in that gap for us and tells us that Menashe does tshuva later in his life. So perhaps that has some explanatory power for, for the length of his rule, although the question is at what point, meaning had he already gone 40 years, that would already be a very significant rule. Okay, in any event, he does tshuva later in life. That's Menashe's personal journey. In terms of the national impact of Menashe's reign, however, uh, that, that's kind of beyond repair. Right? Whether Menashe himself can, could, could figure it out, could find his way back, I'll hold him up as this paradigm of tshuva. So that's one thing. But the spiritual damage, the religious, moral, cultural damage that was done by Menashe to the spirit of the nation, that is beyond repair. And it continues to cast a shadow over our parak. We'll recall that after Menashe, there was a brief reign by another wicked king, Amon. And then following those two wicked kings, we have the emergence of a new king, King Yoshio. Yoshio, inexplicably, given his background, is a remarkably pious and wonderful, good, righteous king. He takes the throne at all of eight years old. And from the outset, the, the Sefer speaks glowingly of Yoshio. He does that which is right in the eyes of God. He walked in all the ways of David, his father, not his literal father, but his spiritual father and his forebear. Velosar yamin usmol, and he did not turn right or left. Again, that's language, biblically loaded language, reflecting the fact that Yoshiahu was a great and righteous king, following in the best traditions of David Hamelech. Someone extraordinary. The text then jumps. We don't really know about the early years of his reign. It goes to the 18th year of his reign. And the Sefer tells us that Yoshio initiates a project of repairing the Beis HaMikdash. Obviously, it's a very large-scale one because he engages carpenters and builders and masons. So it's a really a major overhaul. And in that process, uh, he has the Kohen Gadol, Chilkiyahu, gather up all of the, 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 the wealth that has been donated to the Beis HaMikdash, that it's in its storehouses and its treasuries. And in the process of collecting those funds, Chilkiyahu seems to discover a hidden Sefer Torah. A Sefer Torah that, uh, that was in turn brought before Yoshiahu and was read before Yoshiahu. And upon hearing this Sefer Torah read aloud to him, Yoshiahu tears his clothing. as a very dramatic and emotional response to hearing the words of this Sefer Torah. Now the question is, what was the nature of the Sefer Torah? And, and what was that that was read to him and, and what caused Yoshiahu to have such a, an emotional response to tear his clothing? What's, what's going on here? It's not entirely clear. The Radak takes a very pshat approach, which is to say that this was simply a Sefer Torah. And the implications of that, if this is just a, a regular old Sefer Torah, so the implications are that Yoshiahu had become, and the Jewish people writ large, had become so detached from the Torah that, that, and the Torah had been so profoundly erased from the, the national consciousness during the reigns 
of Menashe and Amon that simply hearing the Sefer Torah, simply hearing that, you know, these are the laws and these are the mitzvahs and, and, and everything that is in, included in the Sefer Torah was cause for King Yoshiahu to feel uh, terribly distraught and guilty for having failed to honor the content of the Torah. And, uh, and that's, 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 the, that's what's going on here. He's, he's simply rediscovering the entirety of the Torah. That's a staggering, that is a shocking kind of uh, window into just how far the Jewish people had strayed uh, under the reign of Menashe. So it's very striking. And for, for good cause, there's, there, you know, the other Mepharshim kind of balk at going quite that far. And, and so we find less extreme explanations. We find, I think, a very compelling and, and slightly less extreme explanation uh, from the Abar Benel, who says, no, it's not that Sifre Torah everywhere were completely forgotten, gone, lost, but for this last remnant, this last ember from the, from the flame of the Torah, right? That uh, we were right on the cusp of completely losing this, the, the, the Torah, but for this last one, which was stored away, hidden in the times of King Menashe. No, so there's a, a, a less extreme explanation that is available to us. As I said, the Barbanel uh, explains that the Sefer Torah that was produced by Chilkiyahu, that was found by Chilkiyahu, was the Sefer Torah, which is to say the Sefer Torah written by Moshe Rabbeinu's hand himself. So finding this precious value, this, this, this invaluable, rather, um, a kind of remnant of the hand of Moshe Rabbeinu was in and of itself this great revelation. And then what happened was when it was read to uh, King Yoshiahu, it was rolled, meaning it had already been rolled to the Tochacha, to the section of the Torah warning of the grave punishment that Hashem will mete out and, and uh, bring upon the Jewish people should they fail to honor their covenantal responsibilities to him, to God, capital H, him. Uh, and, and so uh, that, the kind of the confluence of rediscovering this great Torah and the fact that it had been rolled to uh, this particular part of the Torah was what shook Yoshiahu, that it was seen as a kind of a sign that Hashem was trying to deliver a message to Yoshiahu to tell him to, to do tshuva, that these punishments were indeed on the way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue in my explanation, kind of uh, continuing this podcast, building on, on that assumption, following the Abarbanel, uh, the Abarbanel's less, less extreme approach, and I think a very compelling one at that. King Yoshiahu is deeply upset, and he is, he's really shaken by this encounter with this Sefer Torah, and he asks several of his officials to take the Sefer Torah to, uh, to a Navi, or rather to a prophetess, uh, Chulda, um, who is a prophetess in Yerushalayim. The Gemara tells us that she was one of seven prophetesses in Tanakh. I think that's the, the plural of prophetess, prophetessai. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll leave that to you. The Gemara... Uh, also asks, you know, why was it that Yoshiahu sends this, this Sefer Torah to Chulda to determine, to decipher kind of what the message is, what the meaning is? Um, why not send it to another Navi who was prophesying at the time, namely Yirmiyahu? And the Gemara gives several explanations, but my favorite is that he sent it to her because because women are more compassionate. So he was hoping for a, a, an answer, but an answer with rachamim, with, uh, with a little bit of, of compassion and mercy, which is a, a great glimpse into Yoshiahu's own psyche and his own calculus. 
It's also another kind of an expression of the fact that every Navi brings their own sensibilities and their own nature into their prophetic work. Neviim, excluding Moshe Rabbeinu, who is kind of in his own category, Neviim are not this completely neutral conduit for the word of God, but they see it through a certain prism, a certain lens, and it's almost refracted through their own personality. Right? When it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, so he's distinguished because the word that he delivered was, uh, was, was completely pristine. Um, and that's, that, of course, relates to the fact that he was the, the humblest of all men. That reflects the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to completely be mitzamzim, to completely retreat and to withdraw his own sensibilities and his own worldview, and was able to give himself over to be this kind of perfect vessel for containing and then ultimately giving over the word of Hashem. Okay, that's a little bit of an aside, and I do think that that's so interesting, right? That why does he go to Chulda? He was looking for a, a little bit more of a charitable and compassionate uh, interpretation of you know what we make of this Sefer Torah. So he brings that Sefer Torah to Chulda, and uh, if Yoshiahu was looking for mercy, he got some, but he didn't get very much. Chulda confirms Yoshiahu's fears that indeed the Sefer Torah, perhaps rolled as it was, was a sign from God that the destruction, that destruction was on its way, that, there was, uh, that Hashem was soon going to punish the Jewish people for their infidelity, for their inability to honor their covenant with Hashem, to hold up their end of the bargain, uh, so to speak. And, um, and that the, the, the tochacha uh, that uh, was revealed in opening up this Sefer Torah was going to become manifest in, in, you know, soon enough upon the Jewish people. She then comforts Yoshiao in particular and says that the, because you responded in this way, tearing your clothing, showing a sense of humility and, and generally kind of a display of, of doing tshuva, she said that you will be spared. Be, and and that uh, that God will not exact this punishment until after your death. Well, there's really kind of two ways <laughs> to read that. You could read it that um, you are going to die prematurely, and only then will Hashem, you know, in, in order so that you shouldn't see the punishment, or you'll you'll live out your full life, and then ultimately you will um, uh, after after you, you you pass away. That's when Hashem will punish the Jewish people. In any event, you will not live to see this punishment. So small consolation, but perhaps a little bit of consolation nonetheless. And with that, the parak ends. Uh, and in the next parak, we'll see how Yoshio valiantly fights to try and you know tear up this evil decree, so to speak. To undertake, he undertakes this huge project to purge the Jewish people of its idolatrous ways and to try to reestablish the covenant between Hashem and the Jewish people. He is uh, an incredibly successful king, uh, a king who is incredibly righteous and does so much, and yet he still tragically falls short of his ultimate goal. Uh, More on that in our next podcast. Uh, For now, chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.